Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. For those who do not know, this is a podcast I do here in two different forms. First of all, it is available on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey channels. Additionally, it's also available like an actual audio-only podcast, so you can listen to it wherever the hell you want to. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word, on your favorite podcasting app, host, provider, or platform, and you should be able to find it. I know it's not available on all of them, but it's available on most of them. Either way, this is a podcast where I come on here, talk to you all about new developments in the video game modding, video game console modding scenes that I find interesting, cool, uh, funny sometimes that I just want to talk about, share with you all, discuss a little bit, and maybe even do some show and tell some episodes. We like to have a little bit of fun with that. Uh, but either way, here we're going to just get right into the topics. We have just a few for this second episode of the month, uh, but they are some interesting ones to say the least. So let's go ahead and just hop right into them. So starting off here, I thought this was pretty neat and wanted to cover it here. Uh, this is a Wii Shop revival service called ReShop, and it entering a public beta. Now this is over on GBA Temp from Shadow One, and they say here, many people remember the Wii days fondly with its gimmick controls, memorable in-app music, and homebrew friendly system. Ever since the discontinuation of the Wii Shop back in January 30th, 2019, users could no longer purchase new titles through it, and were only left with the option to re-download already purchased titles. Since then, a few homebrew developers have worked on a revival service, formerly known as Launch Shop, to recreate the Wii Shop servers back when they were fully accessible. As of January 8th, 2024, this revival service has been rebranded into ReShop and is now publicly available for Wii users in a WAD format. The current open beta can be installed in homebrewed Wii systems as a WAD, and users can enter the Wii Shop menu and browse Virtual Console and WiiWare games, as well as Wii channels that were originally available, complete with what seems to be dummy Wii points to redeem, but with nothing to do with them at the moment due to downloads not working on the current build yet. It's worth noting that this will apparently work like a free shop to download titles from with no currency being involved. As with any product in beta, expect some issues to pop up, and bear in mind that the public beta might not have download working since many people online are reporting downloads not being possible as of yet. But we can see right here, as you were able to see earlier, that they were able to launch into their modified Wii. Well, presumably modified, of course. They were able to go into the stock Wii Shop channel, and boom, they are able to access the Wii Shop channel. And no doubt hear that wonderful music that we all know, love, and probably miss. So really cool to see here, at least. Uh, I am interested in this service here. More specifically, just like how it works. I always find these to be really fascinating but it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. It's always cool when something new from an old system ends up getting dumped and preserved here, and this article on Wololo is covering the PSP's Kirk ROM, which is the encryption and decryption engine, has been dumped. Now, they state here, Kirk is one of the crypto processors running on the PlayStation Portable. The engine's binary has apparently been dumped recently, with Zeko Shao announcing the breakthrough a few weeks ago. Although open source implementations for the Kirk engine have been floating around for some time, as I understand it, these do not include the full set of operations. A full-fledged reverse engineer would allow to perform all encryption decryption operations on a PC without the need for a PSP. It is nice to see more discovering still happening for the PSP. With the main crypto engine of the console now fully available, 
I'm not sure if the PSP has any more secrets to reveal. The hackers behind this have chosen to not disclose for now how the Kirk binary was accessed. So covering what Kirk is for the PSP, they state here that the PSP Kirk crypto engine is a security hardware device that is embedded into the Tachyon main IC chip. It is a bus master and can DMA to from main DDR RAM memory operating independently of the CPU. It is capable of performing AES encryption, decryption, SHA-1 hash, pseudo-random number generation, and signature generation and verifications, which would be ECDSA and CMAC. Kirk handles most of the encryption decryption steps on the PSP, including per-console contents such as the NAND. Other modules on the PSP in charge of encryption decryption are Lepton and Spock, focusing more on UMD. And about the Kirk binary dump, this was cited over from Zeko Xiao on PSX Place. In a conjoined effort, the Ape Discord group managed to finally dump the elusive PlayStation Portable Kirk ROM. With the knowledge in hand, they were able to decipher most of the Kirk commands, Kirk Zero was assumed to be non-existent until now, and derive the per-console keys and seeds used for PRNG and Kirk commands 3, 5, 6, 8, 9, 0xf, 0x10, and 0x12 respectively. The follow-up information can be found in the PlayStation Portable Wiki under the Kirk section. As for the ROM, it can be downloaded from Darth Sterney's site. Now it looks like they've linked the IDA processor module for Kirk itself, the Ghidra processor module, as well as an alternative version of the Ghidra processor module existing here. Credit has been given to the following people, so Anonymous for you know what you have done, Proxima for the processor module, Davey for general purpose reverse engineering and more proc opcodes, and Lemon Hayes for the opcode contribution. So that's all to say here, this is cool to see. Uh, it's crazy to think that the PSP is almost 20 years old now because it came out like mid to i want to say late 2004 that's when it first came out in japan so it's almost 20 years old and this was discovered here at this point but yeah at this point here it seems like i mean full encryption decryption on the psp has been completely handled it's been modified to heck and back for sure like we've had full-fledged custom firmware on the system and mod chips and such for years and for anybody who's questioning mod chips no mod chips were a thing on the psp 1000 I don't remember what exactly it was called, but I do know they're difficult to find now, and back then people said they were equally as difficult to install and such. Uh, either way though, really cool discovery to see. I had to go back in here and post and look this up, but it was Undiluted Platinum. That's what it was called. I could not remember it. For some reason, I was thinking of Infinity or something with a diamond, and that wasn't it, but it was Undiluted Platinum. I've never even seen this. I've never seen a photo of it until now, just because I wasn't interested in installing one back then. But yeah, this thing is tiny, and from what I recall, this was essentially a dual NAND setup, so it physically put a second NAND in your PSP 1000, and it also gave you essentially brick-proof access there, so if you ever bricked your onboard NAND, you could open up a hardware recovery option on the mod chip and reflash the stock NAND on the system itself. Just wanted to go through memory lane on there, and thanks to the PSP dev wiki for covering this. So as a heads up here, this was originally from a French forum, however it is being machine translated here through my browser into English, so if it doesn't sound quite right or it looks a little odd, uh, just forgive that for 
for the translation here. I will make sure to put the original French link without the translation down below in the description, but just so I can read it out here. Uh, this is about the PlayStation Net Yarose, if anything, and this is about the access card, which as you can see right here, a, a quick rundown is the Net Yarose was essentially a more affordable development kit and platform for the original PlayStation. Uh, think of it being given to places like schools and universities and such. Uh, it was a much more limited dev kit, but still a dev kit nonetheless. However, in order to properly use it, you had to connect it up to a computer with the NetYerose software, and you needed this access card. Not a memory card, you needed an access card. And it just looks like a cool black memory card from the get-go, but apparently the NetYerose consoles do fetch a pretty penny, and the access card can go for even more. Like, only the access card alone can cost just as much or even more than the console itself. Uh, because essentially, if you don't have the access card with the NetYerose setup, you really can't use it for its intended purpose at all. So going on here from XRider, they say, Hi, I share with you the project that I am carrying out, or rather has just been validated. As you know, NetYerose needs its development kit to be connected to the PC. I let you consult the NetYerose file on our website, which they have a link right there. In this kit, there is the famous access card not found. Luckily, I have an original access card, and I started in the retro engineering of the latter. I have been working on it for some time, but today the security of the access card has fallen to the delight of retro programmers collectors. Thanks to this advance, you will soon be able to unlock the original DTL-S3035 CD. Although the CD DTL-S3035 has been cracked and available here, it says, the access card has never been cracked. It's a first. Thanks to the STU NetYerose Delta and the Delta PSNE QSB, you can transform any PlayStation with 100% NetYerose compatibilities. Actually, wait a minute, that's pretty cool. Okay, okay, so uh, as a reminder, they have a link to STU NetYerose here and the Delta PSNE quick solder board here, and they'll share this progress of the day here. So as you can see, we have the PlayStation all taken apart. It is being worked on here. And if we look at the next photo, it's able to verify which version of the console this is. We have some extra information here, like the access card, the memory card have been checked on this. And we have some images of this here. So saying a PCB in access card format that will include all elements will be developed soon. Wait and see. So the top of it just looks like a standard access card. Now we do see here on the bottom of the QSB, we have this board right here, which has no doubt been flashed with the required software needed. It's then installed onto the PCB itself, and then we're able to get it up and working. Uh, so this is still cool to see that now at this point, you can really make your own access card. Over from Xbox scene of all places here, uh, we have a release for anybody with a Xenium or Open Xenium mod chip, which is a a replacement open source operating system here called Prometheos or Prometheos. Prometheos makes a significant evolution in the history of the Xenium mod chip, originally the sole domain of the Xenium OS. For over 18 years, users of this mod chip grappled with bugs and limitations, partly due to the absence of open source code from the original developer. In 2019, a notable change occurred with Ryzee 119's creation of the Open Xenium, an open source version of the Xenium hardware. This modern reinterpretation utilized modern available components and a custom CPLD, maintaining compatibility with the existing Xenium OS. 
However, this compatibility was soon challenged by the discovery of clone protection within the OS, which risked bricking some chips identified as clones. The community's response was a mixture of patchwork and innovation, while some were focused on removing security features and fixing bugs, others, under the guise of contributing to open source, subtly shifted their efforts toward rebranding the OS. This rebranding mainly involved removing all traces of Team Exodus and introducing new logos. Additionally, a tactic assumed by most in the community was the purchase and redirection of the Team Exodus domain to their own site, seemingly used to promote and sell their hardware mods. These actions, rather than advancing the open source agenda, included adding support for their own hardware or adjusting terms of service agreements, diverging from the original promises of community support and open source development. Team Resurgent, in collaboration with Team Serbios and key members of the Xbox community, initiated discussions about developing a new OS for these mod chips. The vision was for an OS with open source code, enabling community-driven expansion, feature enhancements, and support. Thanks to Nemesis for donating the required hardware, mod chips, and programmers, and providing his valuable input and feedback. The teams embarked on a journey to code a replacement OS for Xenium-based mod chips. This endeavor culminated in the birth of Prometheus. In its current form, Prometheus not only mimics the functionality of the original Xenium OS, but is a ground-up open-source development. It offers enhanced file transfer speeds, skin color customization, and importantly, room for future enhancements, bug fixes, and ongoing improvements. Now, they also released the info file here, which is for the original release. I believe there's been an update already here, uh, but stating here just some of the stuff, they say that this has the ability to flash and delete BIOS, to launch BIOS or TSOP, set the auto-launch of BIOS, an FTP server, hard drive locking and unlocking support, network capabilities, of course. This also seems to work with the HD+, so firmware 2.2.2 is required, although this one here, board, what's your high score? I I'm wondering if that was uh, left there. Uh, on accident or what, uh, but they also added a HTTP web server on there as well, uh, which I know the original one had, but these are really built from the ground up on here. They've been hard at work towards their next release, and then they have the same information here over what is Prometheus. They've got some acknowledgments here, and finally in the frequently asked question section, if people are wondering how to flash Prometheus on there, they're saying the simplest way for a working Xbox with Xenium is to use the Xenium Tools Utility by Ryze119. This open source utility allows you to backup and flash directly from your Xbox. Launch Xenium Tools, select Write a Raw 2 Megabyte Flash Dump, choose the Prometheus bin file, and flash. And that's about all there is to it. Uh, you can also use an external hardware flasher like a Raspberry Pi. Now there's more information on here, but if you want some nice screenshots, they have this here where as you can see, it's looking nice. I love the blue background on here. We have the IP address, the CPU, motherboard, and memory specs on here. So you can select which bank you want to run from. Uh, bank management, of course, for your different BIOS and such you can put on there. System settings and then reboot and shutdown. You can get some system info, tweak your video, audio, region, network settings, as well as Prometheus settings and some extra utilities. When you are flashing your BIOS banks, you can set the names on there and then select what you want to boot from and toggle your auto boot. So this is looking real nice. I do have um, at least a couple uh, open Xeniums that I need to flash this on, uh, but really cool to see this release. So this was a nice little surprise that nobody really saw coming here, uh, but from Ars Technica, they say that a modder recreates Game Boy Advance games using audio from the crash sound. So you can quite literally use a Game Boy Advance and and the cartridge itself as a ROM dumper. <laughs>
getting into this here, they say, sometimes a great song can come from great pain. The Game Boy Advance, its software having crashed nearly two hours ago, will, for example, play a tune based on the game inside it. And if you listen closely enough using specialty hardware and code, you can tell exactly what game it was singing about and then theoretically play that same game. This was discovered recently by the ZZAZZ glitch, whose job it is to sadistically glitch and hack the crap out of Pokemon games. It's hardly a ready-to-use solution, the modern notes, as it requires a lot of tuning specific to different source formats. So while there are certainly cleaner ways to get Game Boy Advance data from a cartridge, none makes you feel quite so much like an audio datamancer. After crashing a Game Boy Advance and recording it over four hours, the modder saw some telltale waveforms in a sound file at about the one hour and 50 minute mark. Later in the sound out, you can hear the actual instrument sounds and audio samples the game contains played in sequence. Otherwise, it's 8-bit data at 13,100 Hz, and at times it sounds absolutely deranged. Two days of bug fixing later, the modder had a Python script ready that could read the audio from a clean recording of the Game Boy Advance crash dump. Did it work? Not without more troubleshooting. One issue with audio casting ROM data is that there are large sections of zero-byte data in the ROM, which are hard to parse as mute sounds. After running another script that realigned sections based on their location in the original ROM, the modder's ROM was 99.76% accurate but still didn't boot though. The ZZAZZ glitch later disclaimed that yes, this is technically using known ROM data to surface unknown data or cheating, but there are assumptions and guesses one could make if you were truly doing this blind. The next fix was to refine the sound recording. By recording three times and merging them with a majority vote algorithm, their accuracy notched up to 99.979%. That output ROM booted, but with glitch text and a title screen crash. And let's see if we can see that here in the video itself. So we're checking it out here, and they're saying, yeah, it boots, but it's obviously not correct. We need more data. So looking at this, the output ROM booted, but with glitch text and a title screen crash. After seven different recordings are meshed and filtered for blank spaces, they achieve 100% parity. That's about the halfway point of the video. You should watch the rest to learn how it works on physical hardware, how it works with a different game, an ARM code mystery in a replica cartridge, and how to get the best recordings, including the use of a cursed adapter that mixes down to one channel the ugly way. So really cool to see here overall, something that uh, none of us were expecting here, but... Yeah, I don't really have too much else to say about this. I'm almost just so impressed to the point where I... I'm kind of speechless here. Now, typically at the end of these episodes here, I like to pick something that I think is cool, funny, interesting, or what have you in the world of modding or kind of related to modding here. And I thought this was right up that alley here. Another article from GBA Temp, which, I mean, the screenshot here ended up catching my eye. This from Krista Norin, who said, early beta Nintendo Switch menu design discovered on prototype Switch consoles. And, and look at that right here. This is beautiful. So they state here, 
If you've ever owned a Nintendo Switch, you'll no doubt know what the system's menu looks like. However, a prototype Switch NAND that's been discovered shows that Nintendo had a much grander home menu for the Switch in the early days of the system's development. The UI images are taken from a mock-up that was found on the NAND of a prototype Nintendo Switch unit. The user who shared the images notes that they must be moderately early in the Switch's planning cycle, as the final UI style was locked in around late 2016. Early menu images are dated 2015, though it's uncertain if the album date is correct. In the images, you can see a large banner would have been displayed for each game, with the game icon shown at the bottom, as well as the battery for individual Joy-Cons, the Switch itself, and the internet connection all being shown in the bottom right corner of the screen instead of the top. The mockups also show 3DS and Wii U titles being used as placeholder images. And honestly, I, I love this. I love this right here. I think this is great, and it's funny because... There's so many modded themes that I've seen that do something pretty close to this right here, but it looks like Nintendo was doing this, obviously coming off what we had seen from the Wii U and the 3DS era. So it, it, it's interesting, understandable, and disappointing all at once. And what I mean by that is interesting nonetheless, because this is really cool to see. Uh, understandable, I say that, because... I was one of the few people when the Switch ended up coming out, a lot of people were complaining that it doesn't have anything else, it doesn't have a web browser, it doesn't have Netflix, it doesn't have YouTube, all it can do is play games. And I was kind of in this weird stance at the time where like I was primarily playing on like the Xbox and the PS2 when it came out. Yes, that was in 2017. Like I was kind of going back to the old systems and I liked how quiet they were where you could just boot up the game, go in, you don't have to deal with any online stuff. So I was like, you know, I'm one of the few people I feel like I kind of just like it where I can fire up a console and all I can do is play games on it. I can't do anything else. Even if I want to, all I can do is play games on it. Um, so that's understandable. They simplified it back so far, but also disappointing because it's like now so many years later, it's like the Switch UI, it does what we need it to, uh, but it took how long to get kind of the folder system going on there. It is kind of cumbersome, annoying to use. Plus, there's so much more they could have done and could do. Like, look at this here. This is beautiful. Like full banner images, like everything here. This looks great. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. Hopefully you all enjoyed. Hopefully it was entertaining. Hopefully you all got to learn something in the process, check out some cool stuff here, and really enjoy your time overall, however you are consuming this, whether it is video or audio, however it is. As long as you're consuming the episode and enjoying it, that's what's important to me and that's what I enjoy. Uh, either way, if you've made it to the end of this episode here, what I like to do is I like to pick a keyword or key phrase. And if you use this keyword or key phrase in a comment on the video upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. Uh, now, it's funny because uh, this time around, I made sure Lily was over here. As you can see, Lily's in the corner there. And I wanted to make sure of that because the last episode, I was trying to get the face cam sections recorded real quick. And uh, a few people observed that Lily's bed was not in here and Lily was also not here. So they thought that there might have been a little bit of a fight. But trust me, Lily and I are good. We're cool. She just uh, she had to spend some time outside of the office, I guess. Either way, let's use the keyword bed. How about that? Uh, have you spent a lot of money on a bed? Do you need to get a new bed? Do you love your bed? Is being in bed one of your favorite things in the world? Uh, I will say sleep is incredibly important. If you can have a good bed for that, that is also needed. Either way, use the word bed in your comment on the video upload and I'll know that you've made it to the end of this episode. 
That's about it for this episode, though. If you've enjoyed it, a like would absolutely be appreciated. And if you didn't like it, a dislike is fine as well, too. This is Mr. Mario, signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. Until next time.